Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. This is Pat Poling. I am the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. And I want to welcome you today uh, for our discussion on uh, residential investing. We have uh, so many wonderful uh, listeners, and we really appreciate uh, each and every one of you uh, and have had such a great time uh, chatting with those of you that have taken advantage of the offer we make uh, every show, and that is to um, to reach out to us, ask questions, uh, shoot me an email, uh, let's get on the phone together, happy to talk and help you as you find your uh, way through the multifamily real estate uh, environment. Uh, and by the way, if you want to do that, uh, email me at pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And uh, I'd be happy to chat with you. So I've had a whole bunch of folks uh, over uh, the last, actually year plus, that uh, have taken me up on that and uh, fall into the category of what I would describe as residential investors. So these are individuals who either own or have owned or are thinking about investing in residential multifamily. And that term means uh, unit sizes from four units down. So this would include a fourplex, or a triplex or a duplex or a single family uh, rental. And that single family rental could be a, a condominium. It could be a, a single family home. It could be a town home. It could be, uh, you know, half of a duplex. Uh, you know, somebody owns the other half. Uh, you bought it with a buddy. You, you manage your side. They manage their side. Uh, those sorts of things, right? So it's that space. At Mara Polling, we invest in uh, 100 to 400 unit multifamily properties for a variety of reasons, some of which you're going to hear today as we go through and discuss uh, a particular case study. So this is from an individual uh, I spoke to uh, in the last 30 days or so, and they were uh, I've been talking to them for some time. They were sharing some of what they have learned and uh, what their thought process was for what they might be doing next. Um, so I wanted to share that with all of you. Uh, I think this is not only something that those of you that are in the residential investing space can benefit from. Uh, I think it's also valuable for those of you that are looking at making an investment with Mara Polling or with a firm like Mara Polling, where you're going to be investing in larger scale multifamily properties. I think this helps understand uh, uh, some of the points to look at uh, when you're evaluating which one of those might be the right space for you or for your particular dollar that you have to invest uh, right now. So, uh, so with that, let's go ahead and uh, dive in. These are in no particular order. This just happens to be the conversation I had with this individual and where the notes showed up. Um, so a little background before we dive into this uh, case study. Uh, so this is an individual, as I said, that I've been chatting with for some time. Uh, they have uh, they have experience in the multifamily space. Uh, they have been investing in residential real estate for some time. And in the last 
year or so have increased the number of investments that they have made. So just to give some context as to uh, uh, the space that we're, uh, that we're talking about. So as I was chatting with this, this individual, they, they called to, uh, to ask some advice on how they could um, address some challenges they were experiencing. So the first one that they brought up was uh, vacancy, physical vacancy. And uh, so as we began to discuss it, uh, it became pretty clear that one of the challenges this individual is having is one of the main issues that you potentially face when you invest in residential real estate, again, four units and less. And that is that vacancy at that level has a much larger impact than it does at 100 units or 200 or obviously even 400 units. Um, so. Uh, this person had a property that they had purchased. Uh, it took them a month after they closed it to get a tenant into the property. They, the tenant, uh, they were satisfied, right? The investor was satisfied that this was a good quality tenant. Uh, the tenant stayed a very short period of time, broke their lease and then left. And it took two more months to get someone in as a replacement. So over the course of, and it hadn't even been a year yet that they had held this property, they had already had three months of vacancy, which if for the entire year it stayed at just three months, uh, you know, you're looking at a 25% a vacancy rate. Uh, that's a really huge hit, obviously. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about why and some of the things that maybe they could have done to address that. Um, but that was their first big issue was, you know, I've gotten hit with some some vacancies. Uh, another asset that this individual had invested in uh, around the same time, uh, they were able to get a, uh, a tenant into the asset fairly quickly. So they didn't have a lot of front end uh, uh, vacancy, uh, but the tenant has not been uh, timely in the payment of their rent. Subsequently, they had to have the, the, the tenant removed uh, and then go in and do some renovation work uh, to fix damage that the tenant had caused. Um, that was all of that took place over the course of about a year and resulted in five months of either physical vacancy because uh, they, the unit was empty uh, and they were doing the improvements to get it back in shape uh, or uh, the unit was in fact occupied, but the tenant was not paying their rent. And non-payment of rent is the same as physical vacancy. When we talk about vacancy in the multifamily space, when Mara Poling does, we are talking about total vacancy, effective vacancy. There's lots of different words for it, but vacancy, capital V vacancy, includes how many units are actually empty, because obviously an empty unit with no lease is not paying you rent. How many units are occupied, but the individual that has that lease is not paying their rent. So that's the same financially as a unit that's physically vacant. And then lastly, um, concessions. So if I have to give someone a deal, uh, you know, their first month's rent free or half off or something like that in order to get them to entice them to lease my unit from me, then whatever that concession is gets counted as well. Um, so, uh, so vacancy is a significant issue because of scale. And that was 
this individual's uh, light bulb moment, if you were on the vacancy side. Um, so we talked a little bit about that and I said, okay, um, so what do you think happened that got you in that position uh, on this particular property where, um, uh, where you couldn't get a tenant for a while and then the tenant you got broke the lease and left and uh, so on? What do you think happened there? And uh, and they were pretty clear. They said, "Yeah, you know what? I pulled the trigger too fast. I I I saw the asset. Uh, my um, broker, quote unquote, brought me the deal. I looked at it. Uh, I liked it. It uh, it checked all my boxes. I was really excited about it. And so I wrote the check. Later, after closing, I came to realize that." It might not be the submarket I wanted to be in. It, my words, submarket. He said neighborhood. Uh, might not be the neighborhood I really wanted to uh, put this kind of money into, uh, and that's been a big part of how it's been challenging to get tenants that can meet the uh, qualification standards I have, and then to be able to keep them. Um, one of the processes that we go through on every single property. Uh, and we encourage all of you that are thinking about making investments, whether you're going to invest with a firm like us and which in which you should say, tell me how you buy properties. I want to understand what your process is or you're doing this on your own. Uh, two things. You should have a very specific due diligence process you go through, not a um, well, I just look at it and I kind of know. Or, yeah, I've got some things I, I do, but it's not written down anywhere. No, you need a very specific checklist. Uh, I'm a pilot uh, uh, personally, right? That's one of the things I do for uh, for fun. And uh, I don't you don't do anything in an airplane without a checklist. There's no difference here, right? You have a checklist, you run the checklist. Until every box is checked, you don't proceed. Two, um, we never get excited about properties. That doesn't mean we don't, you know, don't have positive thoughts of, well, you know what, this this looks like it's going to be a good asset. It continues to check off uh, boxes on our checklist uh, and meet our criteria. This might actually work. And yeah, that's kind of fun. You can't get excited, i.e. emotionally attached to an asset. As soon as you do, you've, you've now, you know, thrown the, uh, the rigor out uh, the window. Um, have you ever heard of the situation where someone goes to buy a new car and they walk onto the lot and they see a beautiful car that they just have to have? It's in the color that they want. They go for a test drive and the entire time they're, they're letting the, uh, the salesman know, oh, this is the best car in the world. I've got to have this. Well, good luck trying to negotiate that deal, right? You have painted yourself into the tightest of all corners. Um, so don't get, uh, excited about assets. Do your math. It's numbers. It's data oriented. The final lesson learned out of all of that is, uh, think of what I just said that this individual had told me. Where did he get this deal? Oh, my broker brought it to me. Real estate brokers are part of the process. Uh, we have yet to execute a transaction in which a broker was not involved. Even completely off-market deals, there's value brokers bring to the table. And a broker's job is, one, working for the seller 
and two, to get the deal done because that's how they make their money, right? They're commission-based. So I'm not saying that brokers will lie. I'm simply saying that brokers are one data point and should never be the only data point in how you might make a decision. Uh, we get underwrites from brokers on every deal that we look at. It's simply a standard part of what they do. And they are valuable. It helps us understand what they think is possible. And I don't think you'd be surprised to learn that, generally speaking, assumptions about rent and rent growth and occupancy are rosier, and assumptions about expenses tend to be lower than what, not just what we would think they are, and we're pretty conservative, so we're gonna, we're gonna underestimate revenues and overestimate expenses, typically. Uh, but generally, the, the underwrite from a broker is most likely going to be uh, uh, you know, more aggressive, significantly more aggressive than even maybe a market average kind of, uh, kind of underwrite. So, um, so that's uh, one of what uh, caused this asset, this investment that this individual did to get in that spot. Um, so great, is, is that it? Was that the only problem? He says, no, um, it's, it's too far away. Uh, lots of individuals that like multifamily and choose to invest in it will look around where they live and come to the conclusion that, gee, it's too expensive here. I can get a better deal if I invest in this other market because property values are lower and I like that other market. It's a good market. Uh, maybe it's growing rapidly. You know, there could be some real positives to it. Uh, and it might be a great market to uh, invest in from that standpoint. But it's not near them, and they're intending on managing it themselves. So if you're going to be making an investment in residential real estate, residential multifamily, and you intend on managing it yourself, then you need to do that about um, an hour's drive from your home at most. If you're doing it with a four-hour drive or a one-day drive or anything like that, you're simply not going to go be at the property often enough to, one, keep an eye on it, and two, to respond to any issues that arise. And that can get you in trouble really quickly. How? Well, gee, what do you know? You could have tenants that not only do they stop paying you rent, which becomes a red flag, but because it's hard for you to go see, you don't go make the visit to see that they are actually damaging your property, which would not only aid, but to potentially speed your eviction process. And again, that's jurisdictionally based. Um, so being remote for this individual was a challenge uh, they had uh, that they had identified. Now, you might say, well, but you just said that you can be remote and be in a market that's a really good market to be in. It's growing rapidly. It has uh, good job growth, good income growth, uh, which, by the way, those are all the kinds of markets we invest in, predominantly in Texas. Uh, that's where a lot of the markets are that meet our criteria for, um, for investing. So why, why shouldn't I invest in those markets? They sound like good markets. And the answer is you should be investing there with either a firm like us, right? So you give me a call and we'll have a conversation and give you some documents to read and you may end up deciding that you wanna work with us and that's a way that you could invest in some of these markets that are more than an hour away from your home. 
Um, but what if you wanted to invest in the residential space, even even with the other issues about scale and so on? Uh, what if you did come to the conclusion that, well, I want to invest in a fourplex and I want to invest uh, in a market that I have confidence in. It's just not where I happen to live. Um, how could I do that? Well, then you need to have uh, local management. And uh, we have local management for every one of our assets. It's one of the reasons that we're in the 100 to 400 space is uh, our management's not just local, it's on-site. So we have on-site property managers and on-site uh, maintenance uh, personnel that manage each and every one of our assets. When you get below 100, 60 units, 40 units, certainly four units, you're not gonna have an on-site manager. You're not gonna have an on-site maintenance person. Um, some people will, oh, one of my tenants, I'll give them a little bit of a break. Well, how much of a break are you going to give them? If you give them a break on um, 10% of their rent, now you've got 2.5% vacancy on your fourplex baked in every single month just for that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so understand there's there's a can be a significant cost. Um, so you've got to have local management to do that. We have local management. <laughs> because it's our property management teams that are doing that work. Um, it's the reason we don't do the, the smaller units because it's more challenging. You can't be on site. Can you have a firm that will do your management for you when you're remote? Yes, you can. Of course you can do that. Understand they have the same restraints because it's small. They won't be on site. They will be able to go by periodically and they are going to cost you some money. Uh, they're going to cost you significantly more than what we spend on property management. And this is one of those places where scale really comes in and becomes uh, truly valuable. Um, it costs us on a per unit basis significantly less uh, to do 100 units than it would for someone to do four units. And 200 is a, a whole bunch less than 100. And you can see where this is going. By the time we get to our largest property at 400 units, you know, our management costs are something in the neighborhood of probably two thirds of what they are uh, for the 100 unit uh, property. So scale matters from that standpoint. So uh, if you're going to do this yourself, invest close to home. That was what he learned. Uh, if you're going to invest far away, uh, understand and do your math going in that you're going to have management expense. And then uh, we wish you well finding a quality management firm that can manage individual assets like this. They are out there um, and they're a challenge to find. So we wish you well in um, doing that. So there was one last item that uh, this individual shared with me before they, before they said, okay, here's what I think I wanna do. How can you help me do that? And that was uh, rent growth. So I mentioned that this individual had uh, been in this multifamily space in the residential multifamily space for a little while. Uh, and so they had more than just the, the two properties I've, I've referenced here. Uh, and uh, so, so the question they asked me was, um, you know, my rents are just really flat. <laughs> There's not much I can do with them. And I said, well, tell me how you manage rents. And what they described to me was very typical of residential investors. And that was, I get a tenant, they move in, they sign a lease, and basically as long as they stay and keep paying the rent on time, I don't raise their rent. And I understand that. 
there's there's certainly some logic to um well if i raise their rent and they choose to leave the impact of that vacancy again because of scale the impact of that vacancy is larger than the value i get by raising that rent so i'm going to leave them in there and that's true and it is um ir unlikely that your tenant or any tenant is going to stay over what I would call a long period of time. I mean, five years or, or longer. Uh, it is much more likely that they will cycle out somewhere around two years. They might stay a year longer, they might leave a year sooner, but I think a typical residency, at least in our experience, has been something in the order of around two years. So if you're gonna hold rents flat and you're holding them flat for two years, um, you know, that's probably not a bad deal. And at the same time, if they're going to move out after two years, you're going to have a vacancy anyway when they move out. You're going to have to get in and do the turn on the unit, get the unit ready to be rented again, and then get it leased. And you might be able to do that very quickly, but you can do the same thing if you're going to move somebody's rent. So um, we move rents annually upon renewal, and we will be potentially... Um, uh, uh, more aggressive on that uh, in terms of what those rent movements are, in terms of what we would offer to individuals if we continue to have extremely high renewal rates, right? Um, because that's an indication that the market for that unit uh, is actually higher than what we have been uh, asking for it. So, um, so we move rents on an annual basis. Remember, one of the ways you grab, you drive uh, NOI, this is from the session we did on cash flow is uh, rent growth grows faster than expense growth, right? So you get some delta there. That's just one of the tools to drive NOI, which drives cash flow and drives uh, equity growth as well. So um, this individual had not been doing that. So every tenant they had was paying the same rent that they had when they moved in. And not surprisingly, their, te their tenancies had become longer term. They had more and more tenants that were he had two of them that were, these were the original tenants. When he bought the property, he, these people moved in and they simply haven't moved out. Well, they've been there four years and they're paying rent from four years ago. Depending upon what market you're in, that could be um, a 20, 25, 30% discount to what the current market is. Um, so something to, uh, to keep in mind. So this case study on residential investing, again, from this particular individual, although all of these points that I've brought up are uh, extremely uh, consistent with the conversations I have with others uh, who invest in this uh, residential space. So his question was, um, how do I how do I transition out of this to larger scale multifamily? I enjoy this. I've liked it. I have some other reasons uh, in terms of. Uh, um, the fact that I'm I'm the only one that enjoys doing this. My uh, my family's not terribly interested in being involved in the uh, in the rental space. So how do I start the the transition process? Pardon me. Pardon me. Got a little frog in my throat there. Um, and uh, I think that's very natural for many many individuals. Residential multifamily investing is the 
next step in their educational and investing process into moving into a commercial multifamily real estate investment. So maybe they begin with, uh, you know, some education. Uh, it's possible they've made some investments in publicly traded REITs and the like, so they can uh, they get a bit of a taste of that space. Although, again, remember that's an equity investment. Uh, publicly traded REITs move up and down based on the stock market moving up and down, uh, which means all sorts of different things, not necessarily what goes on with the underlying assets. Um, and then maybe this was the right step. Uh, and so they've they've purchased some individual assets. Some of you may be in that situation. Um, and it's very common for individuals at a certain point in time to say, this has been great. And I think there'd be a lot of value in me being able to transition into multifamily uh, with some scale. And obviously, that's part of what what we do is help folks with that uh, with that transition. So um, uh, that's the role we're going to play in working with this individual is helping them navigate what that might look like as they migrate out of those individual assets and consolidate those dollars. Uh, and then move towards an investment in um, in multifamily with some scale. The work that we do at Mara Polling, uh, because we're dealing not just with scale, but uh, professional on-site management, professional asset management, uh, the ability to access uh, debt markets uh, that uh, that a residential investor isn't going to have access to, the ongoing management of uh, of rents. All of those items, uh, in addition to the rigor of the due diligence we uh, apply in terms of acquiring those assets, significantly mitigate the issues that uh, this individual experienced. And for those of you that were paying attention to that sentence I just said, you might say to yourself, uh, significantly mitigate, I would have expected you to say eliminate them. Uh, no, you can never eliminate these things. Are, is vacancy a challenge even at the scale we deal with? Of course it is, right? Vacancy is an issue. That's why you have to have someone watching the store, right? That's why you need on-site management. That's why you need very active asset management. Uh, is on-site management always going to be perfect? No, we've got a bunch of human beings involved. There will be challenges, and those challenges need to be addressed. Again, that's why there needs to be oversight uh, and such is uh, the rigorous due diligence that we would use uh, going to eliminate all risk on any investment? No, nobody can eliminate all risk on any investment. And, and if you really do want to do that, again, you go go put your money in some treasuries somewhere because that's the uh, uh, treasury bills, uh, because that's where you're going to eliminate that risk. It, all of these things that we do significantly reduce and mitigate the risk that's exposed in that residential space, the residential investing space, um, you're never going to be able to eliminate all of it. So um, uh, all of the things we talked about this evening uh, or today, pardon me, uh, we covered in uh, our most recent state of the multifamily market. Uh, we talked about uh, interest rates and uh, cap rates and uh, what we think the uh, 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 recession is going to have in the way of impact, all of which drive some of these uh, these items that we discussed, vacancy and rent movement and the like. If you weren't able to participate, I strongly encourage you, uh, drop by the Learning Center at marapolling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com, and uh, watch the webinar. Uh, uh, there's a lot of great material there. 
uh, you'll get a chance to hear myself and uh, Bill answer questions uh, from uh, from our team and from uh, from uh, viewers and listeners. Uh, it was a great session. We recorded it, so you, those of you that didn't get a chance to hear it live uh, or participate live can uh, can now enjoy it. So please stop by and do that. Uh, send me your emails. Um, Want to keep the dialogue going? Happy to answer questions that you have. And, uh, and help you as you navigate your way through the multifamily world. And uh, whether that's to work with us or to do something in the residential space on your own, uh, we just want to help and uh, be of value. So thanks again for joining us. And I look forward to hearing from you and having you join us next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. <laughs>